0: welcome everyone to Life in the Peloton. I'm sitting here with the cycling podcast host Lionel Burney and we're about to get cracking into another great episode this week. Welcome Lionel.
1: Hello Mitch, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well actually on this side. Um, We're in day 22 of lockdown so um, just sort of getting my groove and getting a lot of things done and um, pumping out some good, good sessions on the old indoor trainer these days that's for sure
1: 22 days i mean that's a grand tour of lockdown so far
0: and i'm coming through strong like i really suffered in the first week of this grandy um there's a lot more mountains than i thought and actually once you got past that sort of day seven after that first rest day there's a couple time trials in there a few flat stages and um i've been going all right coming into the final the final uh, stage
1: yeah, but you've just been told you've got to go around again. Another 21 days of lockdown in Spain, at least. Uh, that's the news I've heard. I've
0: always thought about that. When you get to an end of a grandy and everyone's like, oh, yeah. what do you reckon? Could you start, start another one tomorrow? Well, looks like I'm going to test the waters. Second lap.
1: How's the uh, ergo training, or as we call it over here in the UK, the turbo training going?
0: It's actually going okay. I think I went a little too hard at the start and tried to achieve too much. But since then, I've sort of been having some fun with it. I've been doing some structured sessions. I've been doing some races, getting my ass absolutely kicked in these races. I can't tell you how hard they are. And then I've also been doing a few just cruisy, I've been just doing like these things, you can call them the Mitch Docker meetups. And you can just invite like a select 50 people to come and just cruise around and chew some fat and, you know, do some efforts and you get a good sweat on get a really good sweat on. So um, it's always good to sweat the beer out from the night before.
1: Just very briefly, Mitch, what's your um, indoor training setup like? Have you got everything, you know, have you got a pain cave that's all kitted out exactly how you want it?
0: Cave. It's, it's actually, I found this, I conveniently found the front sunroom because it was closer to the internet. I was doing it in the shed, which was a bit more like a cave and the internet wasn't really working in there. And... I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I moved to this front room. It's awesome. It's like a glass room. Um, you can look out on the street. Oh, it's just a brilliant idea. I'll take a photo and I'll put it up so everyone can see my cave. And um, I've just got a makeshift sort of shelf there that's got like headbands on it and towels and speakers. Um, and that's about it. I've got the the screen in front of me and the mat to, to collect all the drippings.
1: And just before we get to this week's episode of Life in the Peloton, did you follow the virtual tour of Flanders? Over the weekend your teammate Alberto Bettiol, the defending champion in the Real Outdoor Tour of Flanders of course was taking part. Uh, did you did you were you tempted to watch it? Do you know what happened?
0: I didn't see it actually. I happened to miss it. My wife said to me she I thought she was joking because I hadn't sort of seen it um, being advertised and then I caught up on um, some stuff this morning and saw the report. I saw that Greg Van Avermaet won. Is that correct? That is <laughs> right. Yeah. And then um, I didn't see it, so I, I was. I did see some comments from on our team chat that some guys watched it and thought we've got some races coming up. I'm actually doing a couple of races uh, in May, and um, they said, "Oh, I better go out and do some efforts because that looks really hard."
1: So the uh, the fear kicks in already, just from watching people and hearing hearing how hard it's going to be.
0: I'm so aware of it. Like I tell you, I just doing these races on Swift. And I'm before we even get to the hill. I'm sitting at threshold, just in the bunch, going, "How are all these guys not pro? Thank God, all these other guys aren't pro that I don't know from around the world, because I would be getting killed in normal races." But <laughs> seeing as we're seeing as we're talking about this, it's very on theme this episode today. Um, we're talking with Ella Harris, who is the Swift Academy um, winner of 2018. And we're gonna to chat to her about how she comes across from coming through the Zwift Academy, talking about what that what that even is and how she comes across onto Ken- Kenyon-Shram, the female team and becomes a professional from essentially winning Zwift Academy. And she was the third winner um, and there's been another winner since then. So I thought it was just a very in theme sort of podcast. And plus I was doing some training with her before we had lockdown, and I really got to know her and I thought, should be great to have on the podcast anyway, since we've been doing a lot of Virgos. It was just perfect timing, and um, yeah, it's a great chat. So without further ado, I, I'll bring you Ella. Sit back and enjoy this one, and keep pedaling if you're out there riding.
2: Shoot chute uh, shoot à l'arrière du peloton cycling podcast, team car, at the back of the pack, please.
1: That's the voice of Seb Piquet, radio tour at the Tour de France, reminding us to tell you that this episode of Mitch Docker's Life in the Peloton is sponsored by Harry's Razors. And I'm joined by Richard Moore, regular host of the cycling podcast and a Harry's Razors customer. Uh, have you been bothering to shave while you've been locked down and not going out of your house?
2: It's the one, uh, bit, the one thing I've been doing to maintain uh, some kind of semblance of normality lionel and also because uh a stubbly face is a scratchy face so yeah i have been shaving but surprised that harry's razors are sponsoring one of mitch docker's um podcasts have they have they seen any pictures of
1: mitch (laughs) yeah them well as you know the the mullet went didn't it at the tour down under for uh, charity and the tash
2: of course but is he is he growing is
1: he growing them back i haven't actually asked i should ask Mitch next time I speak to him um, what uh, what the intention is I mean I'm imagining that he's just he's got the freedom at the moment uh, while we're all locked down just to, to grow it back out and by the time we re-emerge and racing resumes he'll be back to the the the, the good old Mitch Docker look that we are so familiar with.
2: He, he, he looks to me very like the footballer Henrik Larson looked after he shaved off his dreadlocks now strangely he, he's got that sort of Look about him, but if he is carrying on shaving, I do recommend Harry's razors because they are extremely good i'm I've got the whole Harry's package now. I'm actually shampooing
1: with Harry's shampoo as well now don't don't rub it in richard and i'm not I'm not in need of shampoo, unfortunately these days um, but you started off with the the trial set rubbing it in is exactly <laughs> what you do with shampoo though if you might remember <laughs> well you started off with the trial set didn't you that was how your introduction to harry's began and you can get a trial set for just £3.95 delivered to your door and it includes the weighted ergonomic handle the five precision engineered blades with a lubricating. Strip and trimmer blade rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover that's everything you need for a close comfortable shave and you can get your hands on all of that delivered to your door by going to harrys.com slash cycling that's harrys.com slash cycling
0: here we are, Ella Harris, welcome to Life in the Peloton.
3: Thank you very much.
0: We were a couple of weeks ago together here in Girona doing a little training camp together with a mutual coach, Kevin Polton. but things got serious and Kev left and you quickly followed and went back to Dunedin, New Zealand and that's where I'm speaking to you right now. So how yes. is it back there?
3: It's very nice actually, nice and relaxed. We're in lockdown but I think it's nicer being in lockdown with family than being in lockdown in Spain by yourself. So yeah, I'm actually quite enjoying it here.
0: <laughs> totally. I m- messaged you a few days ago because I wasn't exactly sure if you'd got out in time. I was just sort of getting myself settled and thought, geez, I wonder if Ella got out. And um, you did, which I think was a, which was a really good move because even though I've got the, uh, the family here to keep me entertained and well and truly busy, I think if I was on my own here, I definitely would have taken that that decision to get back to Australia and get back around family and feel a little bit more safer during this time. So I'm happy to hear that.
3: Yeah. It was a bit of a tough decision, but I think as soon as I got back here I realised it was definitely the right one. And as things have been progressing, it's uh it's suddenly become clearer that there's not gonna be much racing happening for a while and the situation in Spain's still pretty dire. So Yeah, I'm happy to be in New Zealand.
0: Well, I want to talk to you a little bit today. This is a current theme at the moment, and I thought it was such a fitting um, episode to do with you today. We've been talking Zwift, we've been talking indoor training the last couple of weeks on the podcast, and it's a bit of a theme for me at the moment, and it's got me really hooked on it because I'm doing it every day. I'm doing it twice a day sometimes. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) something that you know about, and I'm not sure if a lot of people know about your story, but... Getting to know you a little bit when we were out training together the last, a few weeks ago, I started to think about, wow, this would be really interesting to hear about on the podcast because you're a Zwift Academy winner. Um, mm. And that if, if you can explain to everyone a little bit, what exactly does that mean? And how have you come to where you are right now um, as a Zwift Academy winner?
3: So basically in 2018, I signed up for the Zwift Academy, which is, forget the details as time goes on. But um, essentially, it's a ten week. I think it's ten week program um, where you've got to complete ten to twelve workouts to complete the academy. A couple of group sessions, um, some races, lots of really hard workouts on Zwift. With a few of them comprising of power tests, so they test your ten seconds, your twenty second, four minute, ten minute power, that sort of thing. Um, so if you complete all the sessions then you're considered to be a Zwift Academy graduate I guess Uh, so lots of people complete the academy um, and that's just their main aim is to just finish the sessions but from there they actually select a top 10 um, which become the semi-finalists for the Zwift Academy so I was selected as a semi-finalist so we then completed I think seven further workouts there was a mixture of road riding and riding on Zwift so it was more power testing. I think one of the sessions was mm. two times twelve minutes max on the erg um, oh my with, God. <laughs> with pretty limited recovery, and then a three minute test on the road, a fourteen minute test on the road. Yeah, so just some more really hard sessions, and then from the top ten, they select a top three. So obviously, I was selected in the top three, which um, was the finalists. So the finalists go to Spain for the Canyon SRAM team camp in December. And then from there, you do even more testing. That's just the continual theme. (laughs) Um, On the road, off the bike, uh, ramp tests, races, bike handling, lead-out practice, hill climbs, that sort of thing. And eventually, they select a winner. So the winner was me. So I won the Zwift Academy for 2018 and then Subsequently, a contract with Canyon SRAM for 2019.
0: So you were going along, you were you were cycling a little bit, and what what then inspired you to go? Hang on, I want to do this Swift Academy. Um, was it purely I want to do this Swift Academy to win it to go professional, or were you like one of those people or one of those women who were like I just want to do it to tick off the Swift Academy and say I've done Swift Academy?
3: I was definitely in it to win it, but at the same time you don't actually think that you'll win it because it's such a pipeline dream and there are so many other people entering with that same ambition that you think, oh, surely it won't be me. So because of that, I was actually a little bit unmotivated and hesitant, I guess, to actually make a start on it. And it wasn't until one of my friends, who's a very avid Zwifter, he said to me, oh, you know, are you you sure you don't want to do it? And then I was like, oh. I guess I will so I started doing the first few sessions and yeah it was really him pushing me into it that made me actually complete the sessions because I'd signed up but I didn't think about actually completing everything I just sort of did it because it was easy to sign up at the time but yeah I really wanted to do well but at the same time I didn't really think I would win so I wasn't terribly motivated to to make a start.
0: To to complete the academy like just to complete it do you have to hit required powers or you just have to get through the sessions are the sessions that hard just to get through?
3: Yeah so if you actually have your FTP set correctly I know some people if they're injured or they're sick they lower their FTP to make the sessions easier but if you have your FTP set correctly then they're normally pretty difficult so.
0: Obviously you can just cheat if you really wanted to but it's just down to a bit of honesty and This is to complete the sessions, but where does it where does it come to the point where they understand? Okay, this person's completing the sessions. How truthful are they to their weight to their FTP? How do they find out if the person on there is actually a good athlete or they're just tweaking the system?
3: I think in the in the very first academy rounds where there's thousands of people competing, I think uh, well they have a few guidelines. Firstly, so you've got to have a fully functioning power meter or smart trainer. So you can't be using Zwift power, which is just the um, automatically calculated estimated um, power that Zwift gives you. So you've got to have a heart rate monitor as well um, as the power meter. Um, You've got to log your weight on today's plan, which is the software that they use to look at all the workouts and um, analyze your data. So, you don't have to take photos of the scales as such, but you've just got to log a weight every week. And there are a few other requirements that you've got to meet in order to be eligible to, well, be considered for the top 10. I think Kev would be a, a better person to ask about how they actually weed out some of the dodgy data. But I know that there's a lot of that going on. and Some people just do it by mistake if they have you know, a trainer that's not particularly calibrated or that sort of thing there seems to be a way that they're able to identify the real numbers and the thousands that are coming through the program. And yeah, it seems to be working. So
0: Yeah, well, Kev sort of told me, he said, once you look at enough files, you get an understanding of what's truthful and what's not. Um, He said, Mm -hmm. and then you get it down to, like you said, that small number. He said, that's when you start doing the real testing. And then you look at the real data. And he was able to find out then who was at that next level. And that's where you guys you ladies came together as, as a group of 10, the finalists, yeah. and then, you know, it goes from there. Did you think that you had to be specifically good on the indoor trainer to win this?
3: Well, I've never really considered myself to be good at riding the trainer. I think some people are suited to it and I'm mentally, I'm definitely not suited to it. But physically, I guess I'm just quite stubborn and quite determined. So I was able to just push out the power on the trainer. But yeah, when I do Zwift races, I don't, exactly feel like i'm one of the strongest like i've got one tomorrow morning actually but i always feel like i'm completely on the ropes and could get spared any minute it's like a a battle of survival for me really so i don't consider myself to be extraordinarily strong on the trainer i think it's just i don't know really
0: yeah kev kev is our both our coaches and this is something he told me about you he goes look ella she's tough she trains hard whether it's you know rain hail or shine she does the sessions to a T, and that's something he said is, is pretty uncommon with a lot of athletes he deals with. Um, I hope I'm one of them too. But, you know, he said, you know, that's one of your characteristics and which is something that I do want to sort of jump forward a little bit and then come back to. But once you are able to then, you know, prove yourself in that contract, your first year, it wasn't that smooth, 2019 last year with Canyon um, Shrimp. I'm assuming you wanted – to hit the ground running and everything to be quite smooth. But actually you broke your collarbone um, early in the season. You know, coming back from that, you broke it again and then you're able to come back again and continue on to race throughout the season and end up racing worlds at the end of that season. So that's for me sort of highlights that characteristic that Kev was alluding to. Run me through a little bit of that first season and then we can go back to talking about how you actually got there.
3: Yeah, so the first race I did for the team in Europe was just a one-day race in Spain um, in the middle of our team training camp. So that was like a very gentle introduction into racing. And then my second race in Europe was the, I don't know how to say it, it's like the one-day race before um, Drenthe Ronda, I think it's van Vestewald, maybe? It ended up being, I think, 130k, uh, 60k an hour crosswinds and that was a field of 130, it was the biggest race I'd ever done in my life I think the biggest field I'd raced in before that was maybe 80 uh, so I was thrown onto these little Dutch roads with the the wind, the rain everything coming at me and I survived it, I was one of the only, I think there were only 30 finishers um, so somehow I survived it and one of my oh. teammates crashed out um, so they had a spot open for the World Tour race, Drenthe, in two days' time. So lucky me, the team thought, oh, yeah, she may as well give it a crack. So I was thrown into um, my first World Tour race two days later, which was, yeah, Drenthe. So that was 130, 130 riders, 170k, lots of cobbles. It was just a classic Dutch race. It was freezing, mm. just all the classic... Netherlands characteristics, and I survived that as well. And then from there, I think I did I did a race in Belgium, and yeah, I had quite a varied season. They put me into lots of different races, which was really cool. I did Tour of Yorkshire, I did um, just trying to think a couple tours in Spain, uh, a tour in France, um, Colorado Classic, one day race in France. I did lots of different racing, um, so. It was a really good season um, just to be able to experience it all and um, sort of work out where my strengths were and what I wasn't so good at. And it was very cool, um, all the racing I got to do. And the team completely supported me fully. And, yeah, it was very exciting, basically. Well, that's,
0: that's something I really love about Kenyon Shram is that they've embraced the Zrift Academy. And you spoke... About yourself personally then but then I think you can probably speak a little bit about this too is that the team has to be open to taking on I think you're the third graduate of Zwift Academy is that correct?
3: Uh, Yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) and like
0: you know they have to be open to going okay we've got these athletes coming from an unorthodox style of becoming professional and we're going to take them on and like you said there was three finalists who go then to the team, and uh, you can explain this a little bit better in the, the camp in in Spain. From what I understand, it's more like a trial. The the athletes, the other um, the other teammates, get to trial out each of the the um, three finalists and see who's going to work best in the team, and if they want to work with them for twelve months, you know. And then that next twelve months is also another test because maybe once you could be good out training and you could be a good person in the in the environment but once you get to racing that's a different you know kettle of fish that could be different as well so yeah exactly. tell me a little bit about that whole process of just trying to fit in and what what was it like and how open was the team to actually having you on board
3: mm, so at the camp in spain in december it's It's not just about bike performance. At the end of the day, it's actually the team who decide who they want to be joining them for um, the next season. And obviously that makes sense because they've got to be able to be around the person at races um, and the team environment. So they want somebody that they'll be able to get along with and somebody that has a personality that actually fits in with all the other riders. Because of that, the decision isn't so heavily focused on performance because, after coming through the Zwift Academy program, the team and the riders know that the people that have been selected as finalists, they've got pretty good physical strength on the bike. So that's not Mm. necessarily an issue. It's more about how they fit in um, to the team personality wise. And so it was actually quite interesting because in the last team camp, so 2019, last December, I wasn't, obviously I was in the team again. So I got to see the next lot of um, Zwift Academy finalists come to the camp and be on the other side of the fence, I guess. Mm, so interesting. It was, yeah, so it was quite cool being able to um, really get to know the people on a personal level um, and see how the decision actually gets made. Um, but yeah, so from actually selecting the rider at the camp, it's that's only the first step, really. It's From there, it's just complete integration into the team. And the team haven't necessarily accepted you as such from the point where you get awarded as the Soft Academy winner. That's only the very first step of actually mm. being able to consider yourself part of the team because there are so many different cultures in Canyon Stram.
0: To a degree, that's maybe the easiest part, the physical stuff you like you yeah exactly. If you're physically good enough, you get on the Ergo, you do that, you know what you're in your home environment. you can be just a complete freak. Of nature and just be, be mm. in that top three but then the hardest part there is no rules there is no written textbook for this is fitting in and being exactly. out of race as well so it's interesting too
3: yeah so coming from an environment where you just do club races and you race for yourself and you do races in New Zealand and a few races in Australia being thrown into a professional sporting environment with athletes who have gone to the Olympics they've Represented their country at numerous world champs. They've won some of the biggest races on the calendar. Being thrown into a team with riders like that and such respected athletes is it's a bit of a shock to the system to be honest because you have no idea how to really conduct yourself because you haven't been in that situation before and there's nobody giving you a list of rules of things that you can and can't do you only really learn these unwritten rules Mm. by making mistakes and then somebody will tell you oh you can't do that you can't do this (laughs) you're not allowed to do that in the camper Mm. that sort of thing so it's just it's just making lots and lots of little mistakes until finally you sort of click and you sort of learn everything. But it takes time. And it's also the fact that the riders, they know that you've got physical strength. So they know that you're pretty good at riding a bike, but physical strength doesn't really mean anything when you're actually racing with one another. Like you've got to be able to work in the team and be able to do your job. So until the other riders can actually see that you're an asset to the team and you're able to help them achieve results in races, you're almost worthless to them and they don't necessarily respect you until you start to show that you're a value, I guess.
0: Yeah. How was it being on the other side of the fence? You you spoke about this before, but now the new Swift Academy um, winners were coming in and you being on the other side of the fence and you seeing like, whoa, that was a mistake I made at the start. And that took me like ages to come back from that or whatever it might've been. (laughs) Were you able to give them some kind of advice or maybe ease the load a little bit or break the ice a little bit better for them or do you just want them to experience it the same way you did and just go you know what that's how we had to do it that's how i think Mm. you should do it or you know you need to suffer it out too
3: yeah it's a little bit interesting this year given that there's been quite a lack of racing at the team camp we had in december there wasn't so much you know one-on-one team integration i guess because we hadn't really chosen the rider at that stage um so the new Zwift Academy rider, Jess, she raced with us at TDU and at Cadal Evans. And because she's Australian, it was actually a really nice way for her to be able to integrate into the team because the team were coming to her. It was um, familiar territory and she was able to almost um, find her feet in the team and sort of learn how the team works, but in her own terms, I guess, because She was in her own country and she'd done those races before. So I think that was really nice um, for her to be able to Mm. ease her way into the team like that. But then it's a bit unfortunate that from this point on, she hasn't actually been able to then come to Europe and go to another team camp and actually race with the team in Europe and really experience the European side of racing, which is obviously 99% of the season. So it's a little bit hard because she hasn't really had that full integration into the team yet, so I'm yet to see how um, how she goes and then reflect back on how on what things were like for me. But
0: has she reached out to you and sort of gone, "Hey, look, I'm struggling with this," or at the team camp in the beginning, either of them sort of get some advice from you or they just sort of try to work it out themselves.
3: Um, at the team camp in December, it wasn't really obviously there were three riders there all vying for the contract. It wasn't exactly like yes, you're in the team, this is what we do, this is what you can't do sort of thing because obviously they weren't in the team at that stage. So we haven't really had that proper, right, this is how things operate or you can do mm. this. Yeah, so it's, it's not like she's um, she's really had moments where she could come to me and ask for advice. So yeah, it'll be interesting once once the season reboots and we get over to Europe, I think.
0: Yeah. Well, let's speak about your start to this season, because as I alluded to, and you touched on it last season, it was a bit of a shaky year, but you're able to get through and you're able to prove to the team, hey, physically, you know, I'm good, but you're able to fit into the team. And like I said, come back from those broken collarbones and show that you were tough. And I think, and you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this year was the start that you wanted to show the team like, hey, this is why I'm on this team. You know, you had a huge start to this year. You were second at the road race. You won the individual time trial um, at the Nationals. And then you went on to the Sun Tour. Oh, sorry, this was the Sun Tour was before this. You yeah, won,
3: Sun Tour was before Nationals. Yeah,
0: you won the principal stage up Falls Creek, um, which ultimately gave you the mountain jersey. And you finished fourth overall in the Herald Sun Tour. So, you know, the season was... Kicking off, you obviously had the training camp with me there too. So you were going to be flying after that. So,
1: um,
0: you know, like, what was your feeling now coming to this year? Did you have that feeling like, hey, I really want to prove myself with some results on the board, or were you just feeling starting to really find your feet on the road now?
3: I think towards the end of last year, I was starting to feel like I was finding my feet. I think moving into racing in Europe, I never felt like I was out of my depth. So. That was that was quite a pleasant surprise, but it was also really nice because it before you go over to Europe it's it's almost like this it's this elephant in the room racing in Europe, particularly mm. coming from New Zealand or Australia, I guess. You're it's hyped up and it's talked about like, oh, if you want to be a cyclist you have to go to Europe. And I'd seen so many riders go to Europe and seem to just get completely lost and lose their love for the sport and ultimately just rack the bike so I wasn't quite sure how I'd actually be able to fare and whether I'd be able to race in Europe full stop it's one thing being able to to race in New Zealand or Australia but it's another thing actually being able to ride a bike in Europe with so many different it's just a completely different ball game with the the roads and everything's completely different so to be able to actually first of all race in Europe and prove to myself that I could actually do it That was the first big step as the racing progressed through the year. I was feeling pretty good in races. Like I felt like I was actually particularly in the climbs. I felt like I was doing pretty well. Um, I didn't feel like I was out of my depth at all. I was starting to finish um, in the pointier end of some races. So I was starting to feel like once I'd built that base and had become familiar with racing in Europe, that 2020, I should be able to, really knuckle down and with it being a lot more familiar to me I should I should be able to actually build on everything I'd learned in 2019 which was more of like a an experimental trial yeah um mm. to be able to actually build on that and start to gain some really solid results
0: yeah and then, and it seems like it was coming to the point there and I think you you, you alluded to it and you touched on it that it isn't all about just being on the road that is a big part of it being on the road and racing and and understanding you know the different culture of racing in Europe the roads even different countries Belgium to France Italy all different styles of racing but then also living over here living on your own over here taking care of yourself you know training on different roads having to get mm. yourself motivated on your own because you were talking to me about before you started the Zrift Academy, you had a little bit of experience in triathlons and you were racing a little, you'd done some racing over in the US. But when you think back to those times, it was, was that any comparison to what you did in that first year, last year in in Europe?
3: No, not really. (laughs)
0: There
3: were no similarities.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So it is is that massive step that um, it's, you can't, and I think it goes without saying, like there is that bit of, Build up around it, like especially for Australian Australians and New Zealanders. Like if you go, if you want to go anywhere, you want to make it as a pro, you got to go to Europe, and that's and that's why because there is that extra baggage with it, not just the yeah. racing side of it, but the living and the living away from home. And we do get into that quite quite a lot on um, life in the peloton because that's what it is. It is life in the peloton. That's what being pro is. And you know the fact that you're able to get back. Um, during this time, I think was really crucial to what your season's going to have ahead this year. Yeah. Looking ahead and in looking ahead in this next little period of lockdown, let's talk back on Swift again now. Is this something now you're going to be focusing on with Kev? Have you got a little program now looking towards the head of this season?
3: No, I don't know anything really. Um, I don't think anyone knows anything, but I don't know obviously when the next race will be. Um, Kev and I sort of we talked about the training that I should be doing at the moment. Um, initially I didn't have, well, I had a plan for, for this week, starting back on the road with um, a few rides, uh, two hours, three hours, that sort of thing, just to keep me ticking over. Um, that was until last week when I checked training picks again and it had been deleted. <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, yeah, everything's a bit of an unknown. Um, and then it got to a point last week where I was like, Oh, I just hate deciding what to do for myself and I hate going out and not really having a set duration and just deciding how long I want to go for. So I told Kev that for for the week coming up, I'd quite like some set training. So we've got a few Zwift sessions planned, but I think I'll just be sticking on Zwift mostly for, for the meantime, just to keep things uh, ticking over, like I say, um, until there's a little bit more clarity and um, as to when racing will be starting back up again and when I'll be getting back over to Europe eventually. But, yeah, I think at the moment it's just keeping the legs turning, really.
0: I just started following on Swift this morning, so um, I'm going to be monitoring you there now and giving you a few ride-ons and uh, maybe meet you, <laughs> meet you out there in uh, Whitopia or whatever it's called.
3: Invite me over for a meetup.
0: I've been doing some meetups in New York, some great rides, so... Um, <laughs> I put the uh, bunch assist on, so don't worry, you won't get dropped there.
3: Oh, awesome. That's my favorite feature, actually. I used it for <laughs> the first time today. It's great.
0: It is actually really handy. Yeah, you can just sort of cruise along and you can be doing, you know, 100 watts and the other guy can be doing 400 watts and you're all just cruising along one big bunch.
3: You literally just get slingshotted over the brow of the hill. It's fantastic. It's <laughs> fantastic.
0: Uh, well, I hope um, we can be back together training over here in Girona soon and finish off what we started with Kev. And um, it's been great chatting to you today, even though you're all the way back there in uh, closer to my home than I am right now.
3: Yeah, I feel very distant right now, but that's for the best.
0: Great, Ella. Well, um, thanks for being on the pod, and um, I look forward to watching you for the rest of the season.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, that was great it was great to hear that story and um it did inspire me again to get back on that trainer and pump out one or two more swifts i am following her now and um I did see her this morning out there in uh, Central Park spinning around, so give Ella a follow and um, she'll show you how it's done. What do you think, Lionel?
1: Well, the first thing I thought was uh, I was really glad right at the start to hear that Ella had managed to get back home to New Zealand and isn't stuck away from her family and friends over here in Europe while this coronavirus crisis is uh, unfolding. So that was a kind of warm moment and just hearing somebody so upbeat and enthusiastic was just what I needed at the moment as uh, as we're, we're under lockdown here in the UK as well. Um, it did make me feel a little bit old though, um, Mitch, because Ella's only 21. She was born on the 18th of July, 1998. And I just looked up the Tour de France from that year because obviously the Tour de France held in July, of course, that year as every year. And that was the day that Jan Ulrich Won the long time trial in uh, the Corrèze region of France. It was also the day that the Festina team were prevented from starting um, the stage as uh, a result of the the big drugs bust that had been at the start. Now that whole event feels like almost a half a lifetime ago for me, but as as fresh as yesterday. And to sort of listen to somebody so uh, uh, you know who's who's basically 21 years of age talking so eloquently about how she's made her way into and professional cycling and, and realize that uh, that was just at the very start of my career in cycling journalism. Yeah, I don't mind admitting I feel a little bit grayer having uh, having listened to her this evening
0: what a what a day to be born like um jan or just <laughs> yeah. sort of like i remember that watching that time trial and um going back and watching some documentaries on uh that that day that festina was excluded it was uh it was a big day to be to be brought into this world as well and the cycling front anyway
1: absolutely and i, I what i really enjoyed was hearing about the transition from the kind of the the theoretical numbers-based world of testing yourself against the the you know with the, the 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 trainer the ergo trainer as you call it and transferring this the physical skill into the the hustle bustle of the peloton and and Ella's had some really impressive results already this season. Um, she war, won a stage of the the Women's Herald Sun Tour. She won the New Zealand Time Trial Championships and was second in the New Zealand road race. So um, got, had got 2020 off to a flyer. And I'm sure when racing resumes, uh, she'll be a name that we'll be hearing a lot more from.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's when I, when I saw her... Those results and and started training with her. We just we were actually training together behind the motorbike, and she was holding her own. And it was just like exactly what you said. She's a tough athlete, but she's got that really great charisma about her that you know you are going over these climbs, suffering away, and she's laughing away there. So she was really great. Really great to get to know her, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what she's going to do this year. And and as you pointed out, such a cracking start, you know, second year professional. So it's going to be fantastic. Well, that's it for this week, but. If you're still looking for a little bit more i've got ella on talking luft next wednesday being released on the life in the peloton feed so head across there and catch a little extra little snippet with her and i want to extend my thanks out there to lara my producer behind the scenes and also will who's cutting these together and also the cycling podcast for helping all of us put out put these podcasts out and um give everyone a little insight to life in the peloton So thanks, Lionel. Thanks for being on. And guys, until next time, I'm Mitch Stocker. You have been listening to Life in the Peloton. The producer of this episode was Will Jones. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Thanks, mate.